He's breaking it down so you don't have to. This is Breaking It Down with Frank McKay on 1071 WLIRFM Hampton Bays. I'd like to welcome everyone to Breaking It Down. Frank McKay here with maybe one of the funniest guys on the planet at this point. He is absolutely terrific and he's smart. Smart and funny is a nice combination to have. Adam Conover is our very special guest. And the new Netflix series, The G Word, is our discussion point here. And he talks about the American government and the functions. He is a very smart guy. And no matter how you slice it, it's always nice to talk to someone who's smart at the end. Adam, how are you? Hey, I'm doing great, Frank. Thanks so much for having me. Well, listen, thrilled to have you. And you've got to be excited about this. I think there's tremendous... Well, there was tremendous anticipation, and I think you hit all the boxes. You checked all the boxes, and all the episodes probably debuted, I don't know, a week, two weeks ago, and whatever, and you're getting rave yep. reviews for this. I imagine you're very happy with the response. Yeah, it's doing everything that we wanted it to. You know, this is a show about everything the government does to affect our lives, the comedy documentary series. Um, and, you know, we do some really crazy things on the show. I, we go visit a Cargill beef processing facility to meet the USDA workers who inspect every single piece of meat you eat. Uh, I fly through a hurricane with the Air Force's hurricane hunters to understand how the government predicts the weather. It's, uh, you know, I put myself through a lot <laughs> to do the show, so I'm really happy that people are, you know, responding to it and enjoying it. Are most of the questions that you ask or the issues that you tackle, have they been bouncing around in your mind for years or are they new or relatively new for you? Yeah, thank you for asking. It's both, frankly. Um, for instance, the fact that you know the government is responsible for every weather report you ever see is something that I've known for a little bit and I really wanted to share. Uh, you know, we, we sort of believe that weather reports come from uh, you know, the weatherman we see on the news or the AccuWeather app on our phones. But in reality, uh, the federal government is, you know, running a gigantic network of weather observation posts staffed by government scientists who produce all of the data and forecasts that those companies end up just repeating and sending out to all of us. Um, that's something that uh, I, I've known and I wanted to share. But then a lot of other facts on the show are were brand new to me until we started researching it. You know, I asked my research staff, hey, what are the most astonishing things the government does? And one of them said, did you know that the government invented and currently runs the entire GPS system? You know, one of the most transformative technologies of my entire lifetime, GPS. You can figure out exactly where you are with just a tiny little receiver in any device, including the phones we all carry in our pockets. And I always, you know, kind of thought that, hey, maybe uh, maybe Apple invented that, maybe Garmin, you know, one of these big tech companies. It turns out that it was our government using our taxpayer dollars for over 50 years that researched, put the satellites in the sky, developed the receivers, and now they currently run that satellite network for free. And anyone in the world can use it without paying the U.S. government a dime, which might sound like a waste of money until you realize – so many companies have been built on the back of that technology, like Uber, Tinder, <laughs> right? So Google Maps, um, that the GPS now generates an enormous amount of economic profit for everybody in the world. Uh, and so that to me is like, you know, sort of part and parcel of this is what the government does that affects our lives. 
And that's the whole point of the show, is that we spend so much time in this country arguing over who's going to run the federal government. Most of us know nothing about what it actually does. And so the point of the show is to give folks an appreciation. Hey, this thing that we're voting for, here's how it really affects your life. You know, it's mind-blowing for me. And these two facts that you just brought up about the weather and about GPS, I never would have known that if it wasn't for the G word. I would never have known that if it wasn't for you. And I'm someone who's actively involved. I was elected to a political office for 20 statewide political office for years. I've met seven presidents. Think about seven presidents. And I had no idea. In fact, most of the things that you bring up about government, I really have no idea. I don't know where you're doing your research. It's absolutely fantastic. And where you're getting these nuggets, kudos to you for really developing something that's smart and formative. Do you feel like you have enough information to constantly do this or to or to do this fairly often. Is there enough information that we don't know about the government and what the government does to saying something like this for years? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, we could do a million more episodes of this. Uh, there are so many stories that we didn't cover yet. We wanted to do an entire episode about power, about nuclear power and how the government is responsible for keeping all of our nuclear warheads safe and for storing nuclear waste in the ground that they have to keep safe for the next 10,000 years and the way the government uses its power overseas in ways that are often harmful. Um, these are, you know, that's just one example of a story we'd like to do. There are so many more that are possible. I mean, look, the U.S. government is the largest employer on the planet. It's the largest organization of any kind on the planet. It is just full of stories. Um, and you, by the way, you mentioned state government. Uh, we did an entire episode on how important local government is. We talked about the, uh, you know, if you're trying to reform criminal justice, you need to work on the local district attorneys who are deciding to send people to prison when maybe they shouldn't be, you know. Um, there, uh, so that's just uh, another fact that we went into. And there are so many more that we could be covering. You know, I don't trust government, you know, like I'm one of those people just who've seen it up close and mm -hmm. I really don't trust it. Do you trust it more or less since you've started doing the G word? Uh, look, I, I have a more complex view of it than that, right? Because the thing is, the government is so big, you'd be an idiot to say, oh, I either trust it or don't trust it as a blanket statement yeah. because there's so many different, so many different components to it. In the same way that, you know, you wouldn't say, I trust capitalism. You would say, ah, oh, this company's good and this one kind of rips you off, you know, uh, based on your knowledge of the company. Um, so uh, the government is the same way. Like I now, after researching this, I trust the scientists, the National Weather Service and the National Hurricane Center because I went there and I met them and I understand how they do their work and how, you know, how really dedicated they are. Like one of the most inspiring things to me was meeting all of these incredible government employees, folks for the FDIC who keep your money safe in the bank, right? Um, they could be making a lot more money if they went and worked for the private banking companies. But these folks really care about the mission, and they show up every single day because they are trying to you know, help the American people. And I talk to them, I'm like, man, they really genuinely believe it. I'm a cynical guy, but I, I can't deny that these folks are doing it because they know it's the right thing to do. Now, on the other hand, I learned about agencies in the government that are completely misstructured, that are, that are so screwed up. You know, we did an entire segment on FEMA and why FEMA is so unable to help Americans when they need FEMA's help. You know, like our government, 
literally flies planes through hurricanes. And I know because I flew on one, so it's very nauseating. Uh, you can see it on the show. Uh, but we, they fly planes through hurricanes to figure out where, uh, the hurricane is, you know, so they can help, uh, get people out of the path of the storm. That's incredible. But FEMA is unable to bring people in Puerto Rico bottled water after the hurricane hit. And why is that? You know, that's the question that we seek to examine on the show. Why, why are some, uh, agencies work so well and some work so poorly? And so that's the sort of understanding I'm trying to give people. Hey, don't just like, throw the baby out with the bathwater and say, ah, they're all crooks, right? Understand what works and what doesn't so that we can improve it as society. Adam, you've hit a home run with this. Congratulations. So few people have done what you've done here. I mean, you've done something absolutely unique and just tremendous. What a job you've done and the crew has done. Can you give us a website or a social media site before you go? Yeah, please uh, check out adamconover.net. That's my website. Uh, it has my tour dates, by the way. I'm touring all across the country uh, this summer, going to Phoenix, Boston, and I end up in, at the Bell House in New York City. So I, fo- I hope folks come out and you know check out my new hour of stand-up if you, if you enjoyed the show. Listen, thanks a million for being here. Hopefully we get you for a longer period of time in the future. Adam Conover, thank you very much. Hey, thank you so much for having me, Frank. Adam Conover, he has absolutely hit it out of the park with the G word. It is wonderfully terrific. And, you know, shame on me for asking a black and white question. You know, do you trust the government? He's, he gave the best possible answer. Yeah, parts of it, yes. Parts of it, no. And depends. You know, some of those folks he mentioned in the banking, he's absolutely right when it comes down to the FDIC people. They can make a lot more money in the private sector, and they're doing it for some reason. Who knows? Maybe they're doing it for the stability, right? The pensions that come that may not come in the private industry. You know, there's a safety question there, or there's a safety issue in working for the government. But and he's right. I mean, people, the people that are into the weather, we can't assume that they're all Corrupt. They work for the government. They must be corrupt. You know, I'm talking about the higher levels of government, and there's some good public officials, and there's terrible public officials, and there are people that are just looking to get rich off of the taxpayers' back, and they're there, but the G word is wonderful. Frank McKay, signing off. We'll see you all next time on Breaking It Down. This is Breaking It Down with your host, Frank McKay, on 107.1 WLIRFM Hampton Bays. I'd like to welcome everyone to Breaking It Down. Frank McKay here, and I've never said this before, but our next guest's name has become an adjective, and I mean in the, in the most positive way that you can imagine. Her latest is Superman's Not Coming, and boy, is that the truth. And the best description I, I heard f- about it, and it's wonderful, it is a must-get for everyone, is that it's an activist version of teach a man to fish, and you'll, whatever, you know, the, you know how the rest of it goes. But someone who is an absolute heroic figure, and you don't know how many times a publicist has said to me, this person is the Erin Brockovich of blank, or this person is the Erin Brockovich's answer, you know, whatever. They they use this woman's name as an adjective, and for good reason. She's a heroic figure. Erin Brockovich, how are you? Hi, Frank. I'm good. How are you today? Uh, terrific. Congratulations on the new book. It's terrific. And if you can, give us a little Thank bit you. about uh, Superman's Not Coming. 
Well, you know, Superman's Not Coming is just kind of everything that I've seen over the past 20 years as a foot soldier and down in the field. And we share a whole lot of information with you in the book, uh, inspiration of other communities and how they rose and where our system failures are and the fact that, you know, this we have a national water crisis that oftentimes we don't recognize, realize, we can't see the bigger picture, or we just believe someone's got our back. And I'm always the bearer of bad news in communities when I tell them Superman's not coming. But when they get knowledge and information and they pick up that torch, if you will, that something's going on in their own backyard, you don't need Superman because we're here and we've forgotten to believe that we can do something. Nobody needs a PhD or a science degree to be aware of, to learn about, and to protect your right to clean water. And I will tell you this, Frank, 99.99% 99.99% of the time in every single community, the rise up comes from mom. She is not happy about what she's found out. Yeah. She's not happy she's been lied to. She's not happy that she could be dealing with a sick child or a community with sick children. And I tell you, if they get a hold of this, there's no stopping them. They will see it through to the end. So while this is about a national water crisis, we have forgotten or gotten comfortable or complacent or believed that someone would have our back on it. We, the people, are going to have to rise up and get involved because right in your own backyard at your own city council, you can affect change, especially when it comes to your water. You know, the key word in what you're saying there and a lot of, with a lot of key words is crisis. I mean, this is a crisis. And, and if people don't recognize it early enough it, it's going to get, be worse like any crisis cancer or, or a medical condition that you don't right. take care of this is a terrible situation and you you to me you're paul revere you're uh, uh, you know john the baptist you're whatever but you're out there talking about this and and not enough people are taking it seriously because we're distracted we have a you know coronavirus and we have all of this yeah. But is is it getting any better? Is it getting worse? Is it staying the same? Are, are you optimistic at all about the changes that you're seeing? Well, you know, uh, uh, when I started Hankley 20 years ago, I thought it was a one-off. I did not realize that I would be spending the next 20-plus years of my life running from another Hankley in every single state in the union, let alone globally. So, yes, it's a big crisis and, uh, crisis, and there's subtle things. I think people think that it has to be a big contamination issue and that that happens in few places. Oh, it can be very subtle. Let's, let's take a look at Flint, Michigan. Oh. And, you know, they switched river waters. You, you can't do that. That's another story. But uh, unbeknownst to them, they've been drinking lead. Now, we have a lead crisis throughout this country. We have an infrastructure that we need to look at and millions of vials of lead pipe. And when we keep messing around with the water and we create corrosive, caustic, angry water that causes lead to precipitate out, we have lead issues. We need to address antiquated policies. So again, you know, water is life. This is what made America great. Rate and first world was our water system. It's in crisis. And there's a lot of little things that go on that you don't know what's going on, but we need to make it our business to find out what's happening. So I too was surprised over the course of the years that this was way bigger than I thought. And in the book, we open up within the 60s because I was born in the 60s. Even in the 60s, we had the Cayuga River, and I hope I pronounced that correctly because sometimes somebody yeah, will that's correct right. me. 
You know, the local will tell you that's not how you say it. In <laughs> Ohio, it was on fire from pollution in the 60s. Okay, let's jump into 2020 in this conversation. We have fracking issues. We've seen water light on fire. In a civil action, the river turned up. Really? We've gotten any better? This environmental issue didn't start yesterday. This has been decades of not paying attention, of an erosion of a system, old antiquated policies that will no longer work for us today. And in Superman's Not Coming, we give you the tools to help you fight. Whatever your cause may be, you're going to need the tools to know how to fight. There is an opening here to change policies that are better for the water. Uh, look at our antiquated infrastructure. Get busy fixing it. And we got to stop looking for the cheap way out. And on the upfront, we need to have solid infrastructure, safety, and about the people. But it's always the dollar first, then comes the deception, then down the road, over decades, look where we are. We have to find solutions and shift gears and how we're going to deal with these scenarios. Better policies, new policies, the law can challenge these policies. They can get in and help with these communities. You've got to know yourself what's going on. And don't just get comfortable or complacent with an illusion that somebody's going to always tell you the truth what's happening in your water that you need to get involved. Superman's Not Coming is a must-buy for everyone. Buy two of them. Please buy three of them. Hand them out. And, uh, again, this is something that is going to get us. And, and I'm talking about the, the crisis, the, uh, the national water crisis and the environmental injustice that's going out there. And the one person leading the way is uh, Aaron Brockovich. There's others, but Aaron Brockovich is the leader of this cause. Buy the book, Superman's Not Coming. And when your water is on fire, it is a crisis ignored and this is what we can't do Aaron I know a lot of people are waiting to talk to you but uh, what can people do right now obviously Superman's come they've got to buy it and, uh, it and and it'll educate them but what can people do right now to to get a handle on this what can you suggest to people to that want to be active and want to be proactive to do this moment what well, this moment and people oftentimes when they learn and they think you know oh the water's fine uh, here's one of the very first things you can do. The first thing you need to do is take this book and consider it your invitation. You don't need to have a whole bunch of degrees to want to get involved in something. Let's talk about your water. You should be getting a quarterly water report that tells you what's in your water. If you're not, pick the phone up. Call that municipality because a lot of people don't even know the name of their local water company. Find out. Call them. Get your water quality report and look what's in it. This just happened to me with a reporter in Arizona. Got the book, did that first step, and she was blown away. She did not realize she had a pretty good level of hexavalent chromium in the municipal system. So take that first step to find out and know your water. Get a hold of your water company. Get that water quality report and start looking to see what's in your water. Erin, can you give us, before you go, give us a, a website or a social media site where people could follow along with you? So there's there's my website, which is brockovich.com. I also have had Community Health Book. It's just go communityhealthbook.com, and it's a place where you can fill out a form. Uh, we can't. We have a big problem, and to see the big problem, I've been doing a lot of mapping. 
And so we can see where you are. We can initiate action to your area. Zabrakovich.com and Community Health Book is a good place to start. Aaron, congratulations on the book and everything else. You're the best. Thanks for being here. Thank you for having me, Frank. Be well today you and too. every day. You too, and everyone out there, buy the book. Superman's Not Coming is the name of the book. Erin Brockovich, the uh, the name, once again, has become an, active, uh, an adjective. She is an activist, and every time some publicist calls and says, this person is the... You know, I, I got to watch. I don't want to insult anybody, but it's a, it, you know, they'll say this person is the Aaron Brockovich of this or the Aaron Brockovich of clean fuel or the Aaron Brockovich of, and, and they use her name as an adjective. And I don't know that I've ever said that before, but I mean, imagine that. Imagine being born and your name all of a sudden becomes globally, not just, just, not just here in America. And, and by the way, when Julia Roberts plays you in, in, in a, uh, in a hit movie, it's always, uh, it, it's, it's always good for the name recognition. But wow, I mean, what a career she has had. Superman's Not Coming is the name of her book, and it's terrific. And she is, uh, she is an activist extraordinaire. And again, what she talks about is, uh, is environmental injustice and the national water crisis. And, and again, you know, she's talking about the, the river being on fire. Again, when your water is on fire, it's not a crisis, it's a crisis ignored, and something is seriously wrong when your water is on fire. And, and it, it happens, you know, it happens and it's happened, but Erin Brockovich is just uh, wonderful. Law clerk turned activist, what a story her life is. And get her book, please. Superman's not coming. Frank McKay signing off. We'll see you all next time on Breaking It Down. It's Breaking It Down with Frank McKay. Long Island Vibes. On 107.1 WLIRFM Hampton Bays. Now here's your host, Frank McKay. I'd like to welcome everyone to Breaking It Down. Frank McKay here with a wonderful actor. And everyone knows his work over the years. Just absolutely terrific. And uh, I've been dying to read about it. And uh, this book promises to be an absolute wonderful, wonderful book. It's a must-get. His book is Brat, an 80s story. And it is a buy two of them, buy one for yourself and buy one for a gift for someone else. Andrew McCarthy is our very, very uh, special guest. Andrew, how are you? Yeah, I'm great, thanks. How you doing? Well, congrats on the book. Uh, everyone that I've, I've heard said anything about it is just raving. I've ordered one, and I'm going to order one for a friend. Uh, give us an overview, without spoiling, of course, but give us an overview. Yeah, it's about, you know, uh, it's about my life sort of in the, as a member of the Brat Pack in the, in the 80s. It was such a sort of uh, seminal time in my life. It was the one I'd always kind of avoided looking at, and uh, I just thought it was time to take a look at it. So it's about... Uh, my how I got into show business and then all that the maelstrom that happened and that craziness of the Brat Pack during the 80s and uh, and it's very much set in New York City where I lived and uh, and the, what ensued the mayhem that ensued yeah I well listen it's it, it's one thing to write a book it's the other thing to write a memoir and I, everyone I've ever talked to who who's done it said it was uh, either cathartic, it was uh, therapeutic, it was painful, it was all of the above. How about for you? How how, how do you feel after it's done and after it's out? 
Yeah, you know, I, I think I, I found it quite a liberating experience, you know, because those movies in that time were so uh, definitive for who I was to become. And I'd never really, like I said, I'd never really looked at it before. I'd sort of run from it. And uh, to look back on it and sort of realize what these movies have become for a generation of people, you know, and to realize I've become this kind of avatar in a certain way for people's youth. You know, those movies, it's not even the movies themselves. It's now what those movies represent in people's lives. You know, they represent that time for this a certain generation of being in the you know, coming of age and stepping out into the world for the first time and their life being an empty canvas to be painted on. And, you know, there's no more thrilling, exciting time in life than that. And to be sort of representative of that for people is, uh, was kind of a revelation to me and, and a blessing, really. Well, and let me just say one thing. I, not only uh, is it looked back upon your movies, I, so many of your movies I, are, are looked back upon uh, with fondness, but also they're getting a new deserved respect for how good they were. I mean, these movies, as we look back, are absolutely terrific, and you did terrific work in them. And I, this is a conversation I was having a couple days ago with, with someone else. It's it's a whole different thing. There's a whole new appreciation for, if you want to call it the Brat Pack movies. I mean, there's a, a, a tremendous amount of respect given to them now that I don't know that it was always there. It was always more like, you know, it, it, you know we're fond, we're fond of them because uh, we remember. But I, I think people are, are realizing how good those movies are uh, now and a perfect time for this book, Andrew. I, you've got to be proud of looking back and looking at the body of your work. You know, I'm surprised that, you know, I rarely use the word proud about it, but in a certain degree, I suppose I am. Um, and you're right, those movies, when they came out, were certainly not the um, pedigreed films that the um, the highbrow critics were hailing as, you know, altering cinema. Uh, they were very much sort of popular entertainment and, you know, dismissed in a certain way by the critics, although the young people who saw them took them to their hearts right away, you know, and never let go. But, yeah, it's interesting how they, they're certainly of their time. And, you know, there's certainly moments in them where you see now you kind of cringe and would be inappropriate for our culture as it's evolved. And, but there is something about them. There's a, there's a sincerity of emotion in them that is hard to deny. That is not always the case in movies now. They're, they're just of themselves and they take themselves seriously and they have respect for young people in a way that a lot of movies don't. And there's a tremendous, uh, you know, and this kind of plays off of what I just said, is a tremendous amount of respect given now to to pop culture. And what's going on now, and, you know, I mean, you know, uh, seeing it like everyone else, uh, it's superhero movies. And I'm not downplaying that, but so many people say, you know what? Bring me back to The Breakfast Club. Bring me back to Pretty in Pink. Bring me back to Weekend at Bernie's, St. Saint Elmo's Fire. And people are starting to say that. And it's it's the, uh, you know, I don't want to say it's the antithesis of what's going on now, but it's of its time, and it's developed this certain niche of respect from uh, from serious film people, people who look back and, and again, not only fondly look at it, but uh, who are respecting this. Uh, listen, I can't wait to get the book. Uh, give us something in the book. Uh, again, we don't want to spoil, but give us something that that you found surprising and, uh, and you know, maybe you would have forgot it and you wouldn't have uh, even remembered it if you weren't writing the book. Would anything come up like that? Well, I, I was, um, 
I didn't realize that, that Molly got me that part in Pretty and Pink. You know, I, I sort of gave it lip service in my mind. But, you know, my I, I kind of look back and Molly Ringwald sort of changed my life in the sense that her being responsible for me getting that part in Pretty and Pink really changed uh, the trajectory of my life, you know. And I was surprised how much chance encounters sort of changed things. Like I auditioned for St. Elmo's Fire for... Um, because a year earlier, I'd auditioned for a, a movie called DC Cab that Joel was doing, and I didn't get that part, but it led to St. Elmo's Fire. And all the little things that, like, nothing is wasted. You meet this person, and then years later, that happens because you met them years before. And how all things just sort of string together and are all tied in, and you never know what's really important, why it's happening, and what, you know, things that seem very important at the moment fall away in significance and other incidental moments. Like that, when I auditioned for some movie called DC Cab, I thought it was nothing. It was 10 minutes of my life, a bad audition, and yet that led to the part that would change my life and lead it in another direction. You know, so you can never tell in life. You just have to kind of keep showing up. <laughs> yeah, it's just uh, absolutely terrific. Hey, listen, you put together a, a wonderful career, a wonderful body of work, and now uh, just a, a, a book that I'm I'm dying to read and everyone else has to get. And uh, as as we let you go in a minute, uh, Andrew, I'm going to remind everybody where to get it and, and, and what it is and, and to get more than one for sure. But before, uh, before I let you go, uh, did you... Are you getting response from folks that are mentioned in the book or weren't mentioned in the book? Do you have a lot of, uh, of friends calling you up and saying, hey, uh, why didn't you add this or why did you add this? Are you getting any of that? <laughs> a little of that, but uh, it's been nice to reconnect with some of the guys I haven't talked to. Like I did Rob Lowe's podcast uh, last week. And it was really nice to reconnect with him and talk about uh, back in the day and stuff and to reconnect with John Cryer about some stuff. So that's been kind of a nice uh, little side benefit from the whole thing. Because, you know, it was a very small little group that experienced a very similar thing, and it's not something we've ever really gotten together and talked about. So to, to sort of be able to share a bit about that has been a nice uh, a nice thing. And Andrew Bratt, an 80s story, uh, is, is a, it's getting rave reviews. Congratulations on that. Congratulations on everything else that you've done and that you're doing. Uh, good luck uh, moving forward, and we'll be talking about it as we go. Can you give us a website or a social media site where we could follow along? AndrewMcCarthy.com. Way to go, Andrew. Thanks for being here. Thanks a lot. And to everyone out there, I get Brat, an 80s story. I, I'm ordering mine. It's just uh, absolutely, uh, it, look, it's, it's, uh, it's a must get. Anybody who's into pop culture, anyone who is, uh, is into this, this whole group that really defined a generation, let's face it. And, uh, you know, I kid you not. I mean, people are, uh, people I have here uh, on, on the shows, I think I've interviewed 4,000 people now. So many people are, are responding so well to pop culture and especially pop culture of the time. Andrew McCarthy, big part of that, along with Molly Ringwald, John, uh, John Cryer, Rob Lowe, and uh, you know the the whole crew, Demi Moore, uh, just a terrific part of of you know our history, our pop culture history. Brat, an '80s story. Everyone is raving about it. Everyone must get this book. Uh, Andrew McCarthy is the author of it. And uh, again, I, I'm talking to a lot of people uh, in this age group who, you know, would like to hear what's going on uh, behind the scenes. You know, whether it's gossip, whether it's whatever, it, it's a piece of history and it's a time capsule for for what we should remember. And by the way, I, it, it's important to keep this part of history, whether it's the music aspect 
of that time period or the film aspect and the acting it goes but Andrew McCarthy is the author of the new book Brat an 80s story please get this book Frank McKay signing off Andrew McCarthy has been our very special guest we'll see you next time on Breaking It Down this is Frank McKay in many ways, Long Island is the story of America. It's Breaking It Down with Frank McKay. Long Island is definitely the place for you. Now, here's your host, Frank McKay, on 1071 WLIRFM Hampton Bays. I'd like to welcome everyone to Breaking It Down. Frank McKay here. So much more importantly, Colton Haynes is our very special guest, and you know him from Teen Wolf and Arrow and so many different things. And one of the things I've never done is a memoir. I've got a bunch of books out, but I imagine a memoir has got to be heavy. It's got to be heavy on the brain, on the soul, on the emotions, on everything that goes into it. And his memoir is called Miss Memory Lane, a memoir, and it is must get. Colton Haynes, how are you? Oh, thank you. I'm really great. I I can't believe that today is the uh, you know the, my book my memoir comes out and um, it definitely is a a very interesting feeling um, knowing that because I, I tend to, I tend to be an open book in a lot of ways but there's a lot of things I never talked about and you know putting myself out there like this I start to get very nervous because I'm like oh you know will people will people still um, uh, want to read my story if I'm not the these characters that they've grown to love on on TV and you know that so it's definitely a you know that's an interesting feeling. Hopefully I'll I'll start to feel positive and excited about it instead of just nervous. But <laughs> it's different. It's kind of like bearing soul time to write a memoir. It's one thing to write a book, or write a novel, or you know, or perform in something. But this is different. This is like me. Hey, I'm out there. You have a following. You have people who love you. You have these fans that love you. And then there's going to be people that identify with you. They might know very little about you, but they'll hear a little thing, a little tidbit about the book, or they'll hear something in the press or on, on this show here. What do you think is there about you that you've put out in the book that you hope or you feel that other people will be picking up on. Tell us something about you without spoiling the book, of course. Tell us something about you that comes out in this book that other people don't know. You know, that's why I was really excited to write it because I I I am so just not at all these this kind of I, I tend to still feel like I'm a very I don't I guess normal is the word. Um and I um I just I, that's why I, I wanted to stray away from a lot of the Hollywood glamour, I guess. Um, I wanted to really tell my story, how real it is and how unglamorous things are in Hollywood. Um, and so I think that there, there's things in here that people, uh, I think can relate to when it comes to whether you're struggling with addiction or, or struggling with your sexuality. Um, but there's a lot of, there's a lot of really personal, um, young childhood, uh, instances that happened to me that kind of, changed my whole trajectory when it came to the way that I felt that I feel about my body and the way that I feel about, um, you know, always feeling like I'm being seen through the lenses of other people, um, and then being whoever you want me to be. And so with, with this book, I get to hundred, I get to just be a hundred percent myself. And, and, and I got to take, you know, almost three years writing this extremely raw book that 
that I wasn't censored one time. And, and I, and I do, it is a very, you know, trigger warning for a lot of people who, who are struggling with, you know, sexual abuse and, and a lot of things. Uh, but I do think that telling my story can help a lot of people and try to find their light and also find their way back to themselves. Cause it definitely, that's what this book did for me. So, you know, that's wonderful. And it's got to be freeing and kind of an emancipation yeah. type feeling there. What did you find out about yourself during this process? And, you know, so many people that have written memoirs, their autobiography, it's therapeutic, it's painful, it, it's like, you know, releasing everything at once. But what did you find out about yourself that you never knew? Or what did you remember about yourself that you may have put behind you? You know, I... I tend to be the I'm addi- I still am to this day I'm, I'm addicted to nostalgia and I you know, the my nickname has been Miss Memory Lane for years and so I used to like I still I'm like a photograph and like memory hoarder and so for me the experience was every day that's all I do a lot of times is I'll just literally go through my memories and I'm always that friend who's sending people texts and and things but I I didn't know that it was going I didn't imagine that it was going to be that difficult or as difficult as it was to write it because then realistically I was reliving trauma that for almost three years, every single day. But once I took two months away from the book and, and read it with fresh eyes and read this, this perfect exact depiction of what, what things were like for me and that there is a light at the end of the tunnel. That was so special for me, but I definitely, it, it started, it gave me a confidence that I, that I, really was I was already mourning the death of my confidence for years because I was living in this shame and and a lot of things and then eventually once I started realizing that this passion is something that I that I could realize for myself through my writing uh, it just it gave me so much hope and and just for the future so there's a line by George Bernard Shaw the famous playwright that I don't like to write but I like have written and, you know, basically what he's saying there is he likes it after the fact, but while it's going on, man, it's a process. Do you feel like that at all? Oh, oh, that is the perfect quote. Let me tell you. So whatever, whatever, if whoever's listening to this, when you're, you know, watching all these celebrities and people do their book tours and stuff, and they're on all these talk shows saying that they, you know, that they went to their chalet or they went to the Alps and sipped tea on their typewriter, that is crap because that that is not let me tell you that is not what writing a book is like it is mental warfare for however long it takes you and then you know i was turning in 10 to sometimes 15,000 words a day to my editor and then having to redo that every day and then have some things chopped and kind of cut and pasted and it was very it was a hard journey but definitely have written that feeling I, i'm gonna definitely uh, keep that quote because it's such a special thing to, you know, now get to put these chapters on a shelf and, you know, get to start making new ones for myself. And, you know, at 33, I feel like I have lived a long life, but now I feel like I get to have this and um, be proud of it. Well, Colton, congratulations on everything. A wonderful acting career together, modeling career, and certainly the book. If you can, before you go, give us a website, a social media site where we could follow along with what you're doing and certainly everything that goes along with Miss Memory Lane. Thank you so much. You can, everyone can go to missmemorylane.com and it'll have, you know, all of my, 
book tour dates and all of the upcoming things along with that and also a couple of projects I have coming up with the Teen Wolf movie that's going to be on Paramount Plus, which is a reboot that we did of a series that we did 10 years ago. So, yeah, a lot of things coming up, and you can go to MissMemoryLane.com. Colton, thanks for being here. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Colton Haynes, everyone. It's got to be a wonderful feeling to finally get the book done. And you're talking about three years. You know, I've got eight books out, but, you know, none of them are memoirs, and none of them were painful to write, you know, so to speak. But whenever I speak to anyone who's written an autobiography or, you know, memoir, whatever you want to call it, they talk about the therapeutic effect and the pain of going through this and going through that. And look, I'm not minimizing. You know, we touched on it there. We didn't get heavily into it. Read the book if you want to get heavily into it. But uh, sexual abuse and dealing with one's sexuality and so forth. We, as people, I mean, you know, you put things behind you and we, as habits, many people, ignore things that happen. And when you write a book, when you write an autobiography, it, it comes out. It's like therapy. And I guess if you're doing it right, if you're being honest about it, if you're just BSing the world and putting out a, a fairy tale that you don't have to worry about too much because you're just in character or you're just you know, playing a character and you're putting it out there. But if you're really going to talk honestly about what you've done in your life or what your life has been like, you're going to come up with, you know, all kinds of memories that some of them are going to be good. Some of them aren't going to be palatable to you, but you've got to go through it and you've got to put it out. Often I ask somebody, what did you leave out that you regretted and you wanted to put back in? And this way, if I ask somebody, what did you leave out of the book? They're not going to tell you. They left it out of the book for a reason because they're hiding it. But sometimes somebody will say to me, well, I left this out and I really want to leave it out. I decided later that I should have put it in. Now with digital everything, you could put it in anytime. It's not like, you know, there's a million books out in print and, you know, I guess unless you're you know, some Obama, right, unless you're Trump and you put out a book and everybody's waiting for that book to come out and you put a million out. But it's really not like that with most people and, and the digital editions can be changed constantly. Frank McKay here. Colton Haynes has been our very special guest. Miss Memory Lane, a memoir, is his latest. You know him from Teen Wolf and Arrow and so many things. Miss Memory Lane, a memoir, is the latest from Colton Haynes. Frank McKay signing off. We'll see you all next time on Breaking It Down. This is Breaking It Down with your host, Frank McKay, on 1071 WLIRFM Hampton Bays.